In the following live session recording, Sheila West, Ministry Multiplier with Lifeway Christian Resources, leads the session entitled, Yes, Lord, Yes. Can you imagine how much fun can be had in a church culture with purposeful, passionate, and proactive people of God? People who are united around a common vision, a strong support system, and a mindset that they are not just a volunteer, but an essential part of building God's kingdom. Let's join Sheila as she addresses answers to these questions. I'm really glad to be here with you, but let's clarify something. She says I'm an expert. Do you know the definition of an expert? An X is an unknown factor, and a spurt is a drip under pressure. So let's thing in its proper perspective. But I am glad to be here with you, and I've got enough age on me that I've been around a long time, so I guess that counts for something. Um, but my son was really young. He had a friend over, and they were in another room, and they were sounded like they were kind of arguing. So being the nosy mother that I am, I decided that I would listen in on this conversation. And this little boy's telling him, but my mom can do that better than your mom. And my son's saying, no, my mom can do it better than your mom. And they were just going back and forth arguing whose mom could do what the best. The little boy said, well, my mom can talk for an hour on any subject. And my son said, well, my mom can talk for an hour without a subject. <laughs> So I want you to know that I'm, we've got about an hour, and I'm not going to talk without a subject. We have a subject tonight, and I call it Yes, Lord, Yes, because I really believe that if you've been in women's ministry, WMU, anything that is trying to mobilize people, that what we want them to get to is to the point they're saying, Yes, Lord, Yes, to what the Lord wants them to do, and not just what we ask them to do. And do you have a hard time getting people to, I'm going to use the word volunteer for a moment, but you're not going to hear me use this word very much, to volunteer in your church? Yeah. Is it hard to man things that you're having and you wonder why in the world am I going through this, you know? I, that's what I want us to talk about tonight. And I, I say to talk about because I want you to feel like that you can interject, that you can ask questions, uh, that you can make comments. But I'm amazed at how dependent the church is on, quote, unquote, volunteers. And yet we struggle so much to mobilize them and um, to care for them and to multiply what is happening. You know, there's truly an 80-20 rule. There's 80% of the 20% of the people that do 80% of the work. Now, I'm doing a conference tomorrow on personalities and spiritual gifts, and that'll tell us why that factor is so true, because there's reasons for that. And I've heard a lot of people say that churches need to be more like the nonprofits because, you know, such as hospitals and hospice and um, Salvation Army, those types of organizations, because they do a pretty good job of mobilizing people. And I've been involved in those organizations through the years and through my time in the business world. And I have to agree with that. Um, there's some extraordinary volunteers out there. I went through a time where I was so, I meant my, my calling is in the church and not out there even though I'm involved in some of those things. So I wanted to know why these people volunteered. And these are some of the answers that through the years I've gotten having a personal tie to a cause is something that they're passionate about and they're interested in. It looks good on their resume for business because they're giving back. Um, it's good for me professionally. It provides a circle of influence. It's a way of meeting people and maybe meeting influential people. It provides opportunities um, for me to make contacts. And because doing good is important, there's, that's why they do it. There's nothing uh, the matter with any of those reasons, and many people have good hearts. They're caring people, and they want to volunteer. They want to give back. And many volunteers in the church have the same reason. And that's not really what we want to be satisfied with, I don't think. You know, sometimes I think that... Um, some of our people in the church are like the little girl who was asked by the teacher one day to give her a sentence with a direct object. 
And the little girl said, teacher, you are beautiful. And the teacher said, what is the direct object? And she said, to get a good grade. <laughs> and sometimes I think that the, our volunteers are, I'm going to quote volunteers again, you'll see why in a minute. Our volunteers are doing it because they want to get a good grade. They want to be good. They want people to think that they're doing what God wants them to do. And we should not, though, as leaders and those mobilizing the church, be satisfied with this type of a mindset for volunteering in the church. I've come to believe that Christians volunteering in and the word church are oxymorons. I don't think they even go together. Um, I'm just saying that perhaps that may be one of our biggest obstacles in um, manning the mission that Jesus Christ has called us to. It kind of begins with us and our mindset of how we see the people that we're reaching out to and that God has put there to fulfill his mission. If we think of them as volunteering and we talk to them as if they're volunteers and we use the lingo of volunteers, we're just reinforcing that it is an option. And biblically, it is not an option. We have been called. We have been chosen. We have been commissioned to be part of the body of Jesus Christ to equip the church. And our mindset has to be that the church is not a volunteer organization. Do you agree with me? Yeah. Anybody got anything they want to say about that? Are we all on the same page? I know for me that I really wrestled with this and called everyone volunteers. I've gone up to them just like you have and said, would you like to volunteer for this? And, and God really took me back when I went through the book of Nehemiah several years ago and saw how Nehemiah built, rebuilt the wall that we have got to stop and turn around and take a look at how we see building the kingdom within the church. Those who are doing the sustaining mission and manning the mission of Jesus Christ through the church should never consider themselves volunteers, but that they are intentionally, intentionally answering a call to serve out of an act of obedience. It's God's purpose for God's people. God's people have been chosen, they've been called, and they've been commissioned. That is not what a volunteer does. I'm convinced as long as we, you and I, continue to look for volunteers, the body will think being part of building the body is an option. It's not an option. I'm going to say that several times because I, I believe that soon as we get it more and more, as soon as we express it more effectively, it will make a difference. Saying, yes, Lord, yes to your will and to your way, saying, yes, Lord, yes, I will trust you and obey. And that being the mindset of the people. And it should be, but is it? I do think our mindset and speech are instrumental in what we do. And when we ask people, if I come up to you and I'm saying, um, would you like to work at the fall festival this year? All depends on what you want me to do. <laughs> that is a good answer but when we ask them to work at the fall festival this year instead of would you like to serve just that one word making a difference we've moved it from servanthood to an option of whether or not they want to work and the word work even though the the Bible talks about being workers, even though it does. It's a different connotation. We're not building a culture within our church of people who see it as a way to serve, to be able to build the kingdom. Now, y'all can disagree with me at any time you want to. Um, as long as we are asking people uh, if they want to do something for us. Have you ever been guilty of doing that? I have. I've gone up and said, hey, would you do something for me? I could really use your help. Anybody else guilty of that? We're filling slots. That's what we're doing. 
And those slots sometimes are better left open because there may be someone else God wants to fill that position. Or it may not be something we should be doing at the time, and God is showing us that because he hasn't provided the resources to do it, but we're going to make it happen. When I ask you, will you do something for me, it's taken the focus off of who it should be done for, shouldn't it? I, we're studying, we're doing the gospel projects right now, we're studying Samuel. And this week when I was uh, studying in Samuel, I realized that Eli told Samuel to say, Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. But when Samuel answered, he said, Speak, your servant is listening. What did he do? And the vantage of the words, don't they? Yeah. He left the word Lord out. And what we can do unintentionally is we can lead people to say yes to us without realizing that what they're doing is that they're really saying yes to God to do what he has called them to do for that specific assignment that he wants for them. Some of this may seem like I'm just mincing words, but I'm really not because the business world and everyone is going to tell you that your lingo makes a big difference and that everybody on the same page saying things the same way makes a big difference. And if we can, if we can start with us, just in our small little church or big church or whatever it is, if we can start thinking with a kingdom perspective, the way that the Bible talks about it, and be able to do it. We don't have to cram it down people's throat. You know, none of us want to go ahead, and I look at it as servanthood. But I'm not going to go ahead and say, are you going to be a servanthood person in my church or in my organization? That's, that's going to turn them off, isn't it? So we don't want to do that. But if our mentality is the mentality, and it also will start changing the motives for people serving. We will have less people doing it the way they do it in the organizations out in the world because it'll be good on their resume. Does anybody do that in the church? Yeah. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of people who attend church because they know that it makes them look good. Now, does that seem foreign to you? But there is a lot of people who do that. When you've been out in corporate America, you realize how much of it is. It's doing their duty. Is what they do. They go on Sunday. Billy Graham said years and years ago that probably 50% of the, at least 50% of the people sitting in the church on Sundays are not born again believers, but they may be there every Sunday because it becomes a ritual of religion rather than the reality of a relationship with Jesus Christ. Now I'm going to say one more time there's a lot of good people out there, a lot of people with caring hearts. But the bottom line is serving that impacts the kingdom. For Christ is not merely, for us, serving is not merely the goodness of our heart, but a God-centered heart, a Christ-centered heart. It's saying, speak, Lord, with the emphasis on that Lord. Your servant is listening and I'll say, yes, Lord, yes, to what you want me to do, knowing that that's a privilege and an honor to do it. may not be easy. Um, I'm director of administration for our church, and our children's ministry director retired. And we hired someone who was going to be part-time, hadn't finished college yet or anything. I thought this isn't going to work. Well, sure enough, it didn't work. When it didn't work, guess who gets children's ministry on their plate with everything else that's going on? And I really started, I said, you're taking me through the fire before I do this conference, Lord. You're trying to teach me. If I'm really believing exactly what I'm going to be up there saying that I feel like he has led on my heart. I really do because I saw the difference that the changes in the way that we asked. Now, in our church, we do not have Sunday school. We don't have the facilities to be able to have Sunday school. So our children's ministry meets during church time. And we have a class for everyone during that, and they have children's church at the whole nine yards. Well, since we don't want everyone to this church every Sunday, it takes 85 people a month to man children's ministry because we ask them if they will serve one Sunday a month in those classes and we build teams to teach each one of them. 
one of those glasses. Do you know how many phone calls that is? Do you know how many face-to-faces that is? Do you know how much practice the Lord has given me over the last few weeks of making sure that I have the right lingo? Can you imagine, because I just experienced this, so I'm going to say yes. Can you imagine how exciting it can be to develop a culture of personal, purposeful, passionate, proactive people of God who are united around a common vision and a good support system for them and a mindset that they are not just volunteers but are an essential part of the kingdom. Think about that for a minute. How does that make you feel? Isn't that a lot more exciting than think that you just volunteered to be women's ministry director, WMU director, teach a Sunday school class? When you see the big picture that I'm building the kingdom, I am a servant in the kingdom. You know, Uh, in Nehemiah when he said that it was a cupbearer. Do you realize the commitment that it took to be a cupbearer? That sounds to us like that's maybe a maid or someone like that, but it was not. This person had to have top integrity. They had to be trusted. And they put their life, he put his life on the line every single solitary day for the king. Now that gives me a lot more passion, even though it may be more challenging, even though it might be a little bit more scary. It feels like it helps me to realize that I'm really on a journey and that God has given me the privilege of being able to do this. Now, if they're responding out of obedience, remember when there's royalty and they say it, they serve at the pleasure of the king or they serve at the pleasure of the queen? What if we begin to develop the mindset in our people? which is going to take personal conversations, creating a vision that they can see, helping to develop that passion, that they're serving at the pleasure of the king. That it's not that they've got to do this, but they get to do that. Just look at the difference in those two words. Does that change the way you think and feel? I've got to teach Sunday school this week, or I get to teach Sunday school this week. It's an entirely different mindset. Now, we have been given an enormous responsibility to make disciples. That's what he has asked us to do. But when God calls us and he gives us an assignment, he gives us every resource we need to do it. Some of us can do one task. Some of us can do another. But together, we can do it all. None of us can do it all. My favorite hashtag lately is hashtag better together. Say that. Hashtag better together. It's being the right piece of that part of the puzzle that we are better together. We know that. But so often the frustration, or am I the only one, trumps the passion. Do you ever think I can't do this anymore? Do you get tired? Do you think, why do I have to beg people? I've asked myself that a lot through the years. So I want to make some suggestions tonight and say, I'm just saying, these are just thoughts that I have. I think that we have to catch first and then cast a vision. We have to catch the vision and uh, cast the vision. Now I'm going to read a few scriptures from Ephesians 4. I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord beseech you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. That word beseech there says urge you. Just give you an idea of how much you are needed and that you need to say yes. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, You know, all of us grow at different paces, and we can get really frustrated sometimes, and I think with the millennialists that we really can do that. But we can get real frustrated that we can't get people to do what we want them to do. But God is able to call them 
and to mobilize them to do what he wants them to do if we act out of humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love, giving God a chance to work in their lives. Uh, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit, being one body in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. That hope is what it's all about, isn't it? Are we just doing church? Are we just thinking we've got to do this for the church? Do we even live with a kingdom perspective in our mind that what, what I'm doing, what I'm doing here, what Beverly's doing, what you're doing, that we're doing it with a kingdom perspective, that it's way beyond what we do in our church. It's way beyond coming to this conference. But everything that we have here, the book that really got me with Nehemiah was hand me another brick by Chuck Swindoll. You know, we're putting another brick into the kingdom by being here. We get to do this so that God can equip us and stop us long enough from the work to even think about how we talk and how we mobilize people to do kingdom work. It says... <clears throat> what was the scripture? I'm in Ephesians 4. I started with verse 1. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. There's the vision that we give them. It's beyond who we are. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, not my ministry, his, and through all, and in all. Listen to that. Who is over our ministries, who is through and working through our ministries and is in the midst of all of our ministries. And if he's not, if we don't have him in that place of honor, then that's what we need to reconsider. So we really have a process here of changing the cultures within our church from being a volunteer organization to being a serving in obedience to what God has called each person to do. That takes a whole mu lot more time than getting somebody to fill a slot, doesn't it? Would you agree with that? It means building relationships, doesn't it? It means getting to know them. It means getting to know their spiritual gifts. It means to getting to know their personality. It, needs, it means to hear their story and to hear their hearts and see what their passions are and not put me in children, please. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> and then it says in verse 11, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. Now, there's a lot of other gifts in there. But when I read this and I saw that, I thought the women that are going to be sitting in here have an equivalency in some way of that because you're probably a leader in some way within your church. And it is our responsibility to cast the vision, not to do all the work, but to cast the vision and to make sure that the vision we have is coming from the Lord, not just because we think it's a good idea. Verse 12 says to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ. That sums it up, doesn't it? And if we have that at the forefront of everything we're doing, that our call, our call is to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Now, there are some of us he has called to equip the saints to build him up and to help transform the mindset. He had to transform the mindset of the disciples when they walked with him, didn't he? Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, they just thought that it was okay to go back and start fishing again when they would get frustrated. They had an entirely different mindset about what God was asked, what Jesus was calling them to do in the beginning than they were after Pentecost and after they had walked with him. They saw it. But yet when he called those fishermen, he kind of told them that this isn't going to be easy. Now we think of fishing as being a sport. It's fun. You go out there and fish. Do you think those fishermen thought that? No. They had nets to mend. They sained. It's what you call it with a net, and they got it. Those nets were heavy, 
There was a lot of stinking fish to be cleaned. There were boats to be taken care of. There was a, a lake to go out on that they would get in storms on. There was all kinds of work. So by calling him them, the fishermen, I will make you fishers of men, he was really helping create a picture for them that this wasn't going to be a heyday. It's going to be work like that. But you're going to catch something even better than those fish that are out there. You're going to transform lives. And I love that. Come follow me. Fellowship instead of leadership to me. I'm, that's my passion is to be in fellowship. Now, I'm not going to say that to everybody in the church. Why? It sounds like a Martian talking, doesn't it? <laughs> but you may understand me what I'm saying. If my mentality, the way I think, is that my life is one of fellowship of following Jesus Christ doing what he wants me to do, then when I'm leading other people and encouraging other people and equipping other people, that's the mindset I'm going to have. And as you live, so shall you lead. If I'm living that way, I'm going to lead other people with that same mentality. That's what I'm talking about tonight. Mentality. It's the way we think. It's the motives with which we do things. Is this encouraging or discouraging? Encouraging. It's encouraging. It? it gives us a passion, which is what seems to be missing. Now, I'm going to read just a little bit more in verse 13. So I want to say that what I, I think we need a vision of is purposeful, passionate, proactive people who are united with a common vision. Until we all attain, now we got to do this, okay, for building up the body of Christ. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the status of the fullness of Christ. So what are we trying to accomplish with all these ministries? Aren't we trying? Isn't it our call to grow them up, to disciple them, to grow them up to maturity? And you know what? Teaching them to serve is part of equipping them. That is part of teaching them. That is part of making them disciples. It's not just giving, but it's being able to give back and be able to use. One of the reasons we have such a hard time in the church is because of immaturity, spiritual immaturity, and growing up and seeing what God has really called us to do. So that we may no longer, it says, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Isn't that what so much is happening in our church today? Look at the marriages. Look at the issues. Look at the parenting issues that are going on. And it's because they are still children. We're not growing them to maturity with the right vision and the right mentality. And they're being tossed to and fro. And we get so frustrated. I know I have women come to me all the time, and I'm always willing to listen. And I always point them back to the Word. And I always ask them what their next step is. So when they come back two weeks later, and they're talking about exactly the same thing, I say to them, okay, last time we talked about it, and this is what you said your next step was going to be. Have you done that? And if they say no, I say come back when you did. <laughs> you know, because if we're not willing to take the next step, I don't have that much longer to serve in the area that I'm serving in. I'm going to have to retire one of these days and get out of the way and let somebody else do it. But I am very, very passionate about helping to change the mentality in the church and growing people up to a spiritual maturity so they can say, I get to serve instead of I've got to do that because Sheila asked me to do it. I don't want them to do it for Sheila. I want them to do it for the Lord. Because it says here, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. With every joint with which it is equipped. We've got to be about the equipping. That's the reason they're having Go Georgia. 
It's to equip. It's to get the joints in the right place and the right people connected at the right place. When each part is working properly, not because they're just doing a favor, not because they've just got to do it, which makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. You know, the Old Testament said, if you obey me, I will bless you. The New Testament says, because I have blessed you, obey me. Big difference. And that is what so many of our new believers do not know. Our church plant that we started, um, our focus was on young families. It was also on those who were disillusioned with the church. We were not trying to proselyte and get people from other churches. We wanted people who had been disillusioned, who had left church. We wanted all those college kids that had gone away from home and gotten out of church, and now they were stumbling through life, and they needed an anchor to be able to come back to. We wanted those who did not know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. You know, so we have a church of new believers and young believers, and you really see this happening when they're not growing up. And it, it's harder to be able to do some of the things that we feel like God's called us to do. But one of the things we've realized is he still doesn't want us to cram people into positions. He's going to tell us to wait on some of the things that we need to do until, we, until he fills those positions He's given us a marvelous calling. It is really exciting to be able to think about how he can use us to do this. But I think that there's some components, I'm just saying, that are missing. Um, to begin this change, I think that one of the key words is purpose. It's got to be a passion of purpose, not the pressure of projects and people and performance that drives people within the kingdom work. There was a time I was a homemaker for 18 years and then I went out into the marketplace. And one night I came home, I'd been asking the Lord, why in the world, Lord, you know, what's the purpose behind all of this chaos in my life? I was very involved in church. I didn't quit doing that because I was in the marketplace, but everything, and it just seemed like everything was total chaos. And I just kept saying, what's the purpose? What's the purpose? What's the purpose? One night I went home and the radio, even the guy on the radio, I turned on some Christian music. It wasn't the music. And this man says, some of you may be asking, what's the purpose? And I thought, who do you think you are to delve into my innermost feeling? You're not supposed to know what I'm thinking. But I, God took me through a search of purpose and what our purpose is from the Bible. If you looked at the Bible that I was using at the time, you would see in the margins, purpose, 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 purpose everywhere. Now I was in business, so I had written a business mission statement and all of this and a purpose statement and mission statement and all this for the business, and I thought, okay, I need to take what God's telling me and write a purpose statement. Why was I ever created? Because see, what our purpose is why we are doing what we are doing and what we have been created for. And I wrote a purpose statement said that I was to um, live in fellowship every day with the Master, becoming more like Jesus Christ, making Him more meaningful to those in my sphere of influence, all for the glory of God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, and to have joy in the process. Now, I'm going to tell you that's your creative purpose. Mm -hmm. You can go through, and we don't have the time tonight for me to give you all the scriptures, but you do it for yourself. And when you come down to it, you're going to see that that's what he created us for. He created us to become more like Jesus Christ and to make Jesus Christ more meaningful to those in our sphere of influence, all for the glory of the Lord. That became my passion. It gave me a passion. I could start seeing the meaning behind the seemingly meaningless situations. I could see a situation at work that Jesus was making, using it to make me more like him. Or he was using it to make him more meaningful to those in my sphere of influence. Through the years, I have told young mothers, you may think that your life is mundane, staying home, changing those dirty diapers, but there's a purpose behind it. 
there's a way that you make the master more meaningful to that baby because you're taking care of one of the hardest things for that little baby to deal with and you're doing it with love and that's showing love to that baby in a way in the very beginning that they might not see otherwise and we see it in children that do not have that and the consequences that come from that so purpose is meaning behind the seemingly meaningless situations in life I wrote a book called Beyond Chaos years ago. This was before Rick Warren. In fact, Rick used to sit in my seminars on purpose when I was doing them for the SBC because that was something that no one talked about in the church. That was something that no one really thought about. But yet you go through God's word and it is over and over and over again. Well, I ended up writing a purpose statement for all my roles in life. How did I make the master more meaningful to my children? How did I make the master more meaningful for my husband? I wrote one for serving, too. It was my serving purpose statement is my Christ-centered purpose for serving is living out the expression of my faith by saying, yes, Lord, yes, as an act of obedience to my Lord with the aim of strengthening faith in others. Now, I've always said that my calling was to women, but this covers absolutely everything, and it is the purpose that we serve. I'm going to read it to you one more time. My Christ-centered purpose, no other motivation, not because it makes me feel good, not because it makes me feel successful, not because I get at a girl's part, not because somebody says we need to do it, but my Christ-centered purpose for serving is living out the expression of my faith, my faith in Jesus Christ that he has called me to do this, my faith in Jesus Christ that what he has started, that he will finish and that he will accomplish, my faith that it's going to make a difference and help build the kingdom no matter what it looks like on a day-to-day -day basis by saying, yes, Lord, capitalized Lord, Jehovah, yes, as an act of obedience, to my Lord, not to my pastor, not to the person who's asked me, with the aim, the goal of strengthening the faith of others. Now, if you're serving in children's ministry, and I'm going to go back to that. If you're serving in children's ministry and you're in there with the one-year-olds and the babies and you're just changing diapers and taking care of them, how are you strengthening their faith? How does that purpose statement apply? We love it at that time. Being consistent. But who else are you doing it for? Their parents. Mm -hmm. You're giving those parents the ability to strengthen their faith. It applies to every single solitary. If we see serving as living out an expression of our faith, that what we believe is worth investing that time in, right? so that we can strengthen other people's faith. It applies to working with, it applies serving with teenagers, serving in children, serving with women, serving in the soup kitchen, serving wherever you are, because in some way, you're serving out of your faith that it's going to make a difference because God wants you to do that. And it gives you the ability to say yes, and it gives you the ability to say no. Because if you don't feel like that you're doing it, and you don't know that you're doing it, because of that unction that you have inside that you know is the Holy Spirit leading and guiding direct you. You have permission to say no. Don't ever say yes to me because I ask you. Say yes, Lord, yes. And if we just, it, those conversations have been wonderful for me, ladies, to be able to talk to them and say, you know, I need to talk to you about something. And this is what, we have a need here. And this is what it is. And, and this is a way that you can serve the body. This is a way that you can do it. But don't say yes to me. Only say yes to me. I mean, how do you ask somebody to do something and tell them not to say yes? But it, it changed people's attitudes. And you know the most astronomical part about it was, was that the first Sunday of this new session that we have going, we had three people volunteer to serve the first time ever. 
there's something contagious about it because there is a passion there. There is a difference in the atmosphere. We've got to create that atmosphere. Any questions? You got purpose? I'd like to ask a question. Mm -hmm. Is it wrong to want to know if you're doing what all the Lord wants you to do in the position that you're in? I think we have to, uh, Corinthians tells us that we should constantly examine ourselves. You know, uh, I encourage all of the women to do a spiritual awareness assessment every three months. You know, because I'll find out that I start waning in one area and don't wane in the other. When I start questioning, I can't do this anymore, Lord, or I don't want to do this anymore. I'm fighting right now because I know I need to retire in June. Do I want to retire in June? Absolutely, positively, I do not want to retire in June. But I do know. I want to teach every time there's a Bible study. I love to teach. I've got three women I've got teaching right now instead of me that's teaching it because I know that he's telling me that I am to equip and enable them and to pass it on, that I am not just to do it. Is it something that I want to do and I'm not doing? Because sometimes there's things, and we do. There's a time to pass it on and there's a time to hold on. And, and God will give us that. I believe in journaling because things run around in my head. And they just keep running around and I think about them. Anybody else? But if I sit down, and I don't like to journal by hand anymore. I journal on the computer because I sit down and I can type as fast as I'm thinking. I can't write as fast as I'm thinking. And he, he always brings it to closure for me. And I can take it, and it may take a little while to do that. But we need to stop and say, okay, because I've done this for the last 30 years, am I still supposed to be doing it? You know, we can hold on too long and keep the younger women from coming along behind us and doing what we had the privilege of doing. But we can also turn loose too soon and not allow and not walk alongside them while they are learning and encouraging them. That's the reason God has multi-generation in his family. It's because we pass it up. Had a lady that picked me up and took me to church when I was a little girl and her daughter ended up being my best friend. And I said to her one day, Aunt Irene, how can I ever pay you back for everything you've done for me? She said, oh, honey, there are no paybacks. It's just pass it on. And she said that to me at a very young age. I never lost that. I've lived that all my life, that it's not trying to pay somebody back for what they did, but it's I get to pass it on to someone else. I get the ability to equip them. I get the ability to be able to have a place for them to be able to serve and them not to worry about failure because they know I'm going to walk alongside of them and hold their hand until they are ready to turn loose. Do you know what I'm saying? If we can get this mentality, it's a mindset of serving and not of the church being a volunteer organization. Um, Purpose leads to passion. Now, passion comes when there's joy of being part of a big, bold, powerful, exciting vision of being on a joint journey with Jesus and not just with everybody else. When there's new and deeper relationships that enhance the people's lives, when that unity of the body starts showing up as they serve together, knowing that God and those of us who ask are blessed for not only our work but because he has given us spiritual gifts to use and individual qualities that somebody else is not going to bring to the table in the same way we have a uniqueness about us that God wants to use and when we're being equipped when we're being trained so that we feel like that we're prepared and that carries over into our careers and our families and the other things. That's where passion starts coming in. But so often, we in the church don't fuel that passion. We just ask people to volunteer and to fill a slot. And then we are so busy doing all the other things that we have to do that we're not there helping them see the vision. It becomes very vague. Or we're not giving them girls 
because they did it, just a little attagirl, um, we're filling slots because we're desperate. We don't know what else to do. When you've got 125 kids and you need people in those rooms, you can get pretty desperate really fast. And if mediocrity of the way that people serve is encouraged, rather than us accepting the responsibility of helping people move to the next step and not just allowing them mediocrity. But see, that takes time. That takes vision. That takes a passion of purpose for us. So how do we do all this? Now, I've given y'all a sheet, and I'm just going to go over a few things. But that sheet came out of my study of the book of Nehemiah. And I'm going to give you what I kind of call a CEO strategy. Now, CEO stands for Chief Executive Officer. And when I had to write my purpose statement, I didn't feel like a CEO. I felt like that was Steve Jobs or somebody like that, you know. That wasn't how I pictured myself. So I asked the Lord to reveal to me what this purpose was behind me being a CEO that I could take and run with. My purpose statement for being a CEO became that I was to counteract each obstacle. That I was to create expedient, not every opportunity, but expedient opportunities. That I was to be a catalyst empowering others as a Christ-empowered overcomer. That became my purpose statement that drove me through a passion of purpose in the marketplace for 21 years. It's what kept me sane when I thought I was going to lose my insanity. Because all these other things, I could create expedient opportunities, and I had to learn to say no. I had to do the same thing in ministry. We all have got to learn to do that. Expedient opportunities. We can put so much on the plate for people to be serving in that it just becomes overwhelming, and that's not their fault. They feel overwhelmed before we can start. I have to stop and counteract each obstacle. And when I'm making my strategic plan, stop and look at those obstacles so that I can counteract them before I run into them. Powerful job is to be a catalyst, igniting in others a passion of purpose that will empower them through the Holy Spirit to do what God wants them to do. And the only way we can do that is by being a Christ empowered overcomer. Now I'm going to go through these real quickly. Those sheets you can take home and you can go through them and it will be a little bit more precise. Create expedient opportunities. Say expedient. expedient. Can you think of anything you've ever done that might not have been expedient and that by the time it was over you wanted to pull your hair out? How many of you have retreats and it's a yearly retreat? I quit that years ago. Because the Holy Spirit, I don't ever call it yearly our annual retreat. I don't do that anymore. You know why? Holy Spirit does something different all the time. And it's been kind of exciting because one year we'll have a retreat and we'll have it in the house. The next time we might go to your camp because we'll go to a Beth Moore session, take all of our women. We took 65 women to Tampa last year, you know, to Priscilla's, you know, because the Holy Spirit does different things. It wasn't expedient for us to do one in a year. It was a year and a half, but it was okay. The women were so excited by the time they came. It's being able to really listen and discern. It's not us planning everything, but letting them know what's available. Look at the calendar for Georgian women. If you're not going to participate in it as a church, make sure your women know everything that's going on in this church. It might not be good for every single one of them, but it may be expedient for some of them to be able to get to go and to be able to do it and to be able to bring it back to your women. We don't want to box them in to just doing what we're doing so what we're doing is successful. We want to be part of that kingdom perspective and be a catalyst empowering them to be able to do those things. So there's expedient opportunities. Now, counteracting each obstacle one at a time. Number one, changing our vocabulary. 
that's an obstacle. Number two, building relationships face-to-face -face makes a difference. Team building, not doing it all yourself. You know it can be really easy, but having someone do it with you and always having an apprentice walk alongside of you so that you're preparing somebody else. Use technology selectively. And when I say that, I found out that when I was having a team meeting of my ministry team, that I would have Zoom meetings once in a while because it saved them a couple of hours. They didn't have to get dressed and go to the church. We could do it at 8.30 at night after they got their kids in bed. It would take us 45 minutes to have our meeting and everybody was really excited. But I say selectively because I didn't want to do that all the time because I still knew that we needed that fellowship of being face to face. But you can use technology expediently to counteract some of the obstacles. Remember, they have life outside the church. They have responsibilities outside the church. Um, counteract each obstacle by uh, strategic planning. Plan ahead. Clarify the time commitment that things need and consider where these people are and all the things that they have going on in their life. Don't put unnecessary pressure on people with meetings and other things. Uh, don't look at the faults. Help them to know that you do not have false expectations of them and that they should not have them of themselves, that we're not perfect. But you always do it in twos. See, that's one of the biggest ways to counteract an obstacle. Jesus sent the disciples out in two. Like, when one stumbles and falls, there's going to be one that help them take up. So when you have some people serving and you have it, you know one of the best things I found out, and I just found this out, so I have to share it with you. It's just a little bit that instead of asking people to serve, I asked one to serve and then said, do you have a friend that you think you'd like to serve with? pressure of doing something. Look at whatever obstacles there is. Your church is different than mine. Your problems are different than mine. Your obstacles are different than mine. But you, God will lead you through the discernment to counteract those obstacles if you acknowledge them. And then to be a catalyst, empowering others. Ephesians um, 2, 8 through 10 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. So our faith is our gift from God. And what is our purpose? It is living out our faith with the aim of increasing someone else's faith. Not a result of works so that one should boast. For we are his workmanship. And Psalms tells us in Psalms 139, it tells us that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And we're all unique. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, not volunteer, not an option. It's something that he has designed us to do, which God prepared beforehand, got it all worked out. He's got the plan that we should walk in them. It's helping people to find out where God wants them to walk. And ladies, I don't know what y'all do with spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts, if you're not, you, if you don't understand them, um, I'll touch on them some tomorrow. But spiritual gifts are a gift that God has given us, a talent or ability, and they're not the same as singing or any of those things that are, are talents. But they're given to us as Christians by the Holy Spirit so that he can work in us and through us to build up the kingdom and to impact other people's faith. 
Now, there are spiritual gifts inventories. Likeway has one online that you can take and it'll give you feedback by it. It doesn't cost anything. Your women can do it. And by understanding their spiritual gifts, you can help them to be able, if it's a different ministry that you have, you can help people to get into the place they, that they should be working. It's a way to help people discover their gifts. Watch people. Tell people when you see something in them. I see the gift of mercy in you. They say, what is the gift of mercy? Learn what the gift of mercy is so you can tell them. I can see here that you have the gift of administration. I have the what? <laughs> you can keep everything in. Most people don't even stop to think about it, but they are biblically sound. And they are not for out in the world. They are for the edification of the church. They are to build up the church. They are spiritual gifts given for the edification of the church. They may be used somewhere else, but spiritual gifts are for the edification of the church. I really believe that most of the time, though, once we teach people their spiritual gifts and help them to understand them, it's not knowing the spiritual gifts, but people not being willing to use them. And that is one place where you said, pray, 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 that you had seen that somewhere else. That's what Nehemiah did. He prayed, prayed, prayed. You know, we cannot ever negate prayer. Personality, which I'm going to be teaching on tomorrow, is another one. And people, different people with different personalities and how they function best within those personalities. And it goes along. Understanding people the way they need to be understood, to see them the way they need to be seen, to hear them the way that they need to be heard so that we can equip them the way they need to be equipped. Training, encouragement. All of that is being a catalyst, empowering others. And the last one on there, and, and these are not the ones I have listed down on there, but you can go over those when you get home. Those are more detailed. Is to be a Christ-empowered overcomer. It has to be the Christ in us. It has to be the Holy Spirit working in us. And I'm just going to say this very lightly, but very sincerely. Ladies, do not ever, ever, ever let the ministry get the full ministry. There is no harder place in the world to be. We moved to California for about a year and a half, and we were youth directors in a small church there. That was my youth. I mean, I got a little ticked when people started trying to say what needed to be done with that youth. I had done so much to build that youth. They were doing so good. It was absolutely phenomenal. I just want to tell y'all that it was absolutely phenomenal. And I got an unsettledness in my soul like I have never had before. And I was up at 2 o'clock in the morning one night reading a book. And in this book, the comment was made that we get our ministry before the master and we claim it as our own. I went in and resigned. I didn't have time to work that through and to stay there. I needed to turn loose and get myself back where that I would never get any ministry again in front of the ministry. We are Christ and Howard Overcomer, and everything belongs to Him, and all of our ministries belong to Him. And I say my women because I love them, and I feel like they're just part of me. They're not my women, they're not my kids. They're his, and he allows us. We get to be part of equipping them. We get to be part of encouraging them. But if it's not him first in our lives, if we're not getting to know him better every day so that we can hear him more clearly and discern his voice from our own desires and wishes, so at, at, that is the worst time in my whole life the ministry got before my master. And I'll never forget it as long as I live. It was a hard time. It was a cold time. And not having a ministry, but being ministered to, was absolutely wonderful. we got to remember that it's a passion, a purpose, and not the pressure of projects or people or how we perform. And there's a plan. It's God's plan. The fable is told of how Jesus returned to heaven after 
he was here on earth. And the angels asked him if his work on earth was done. And he said, my part is, but thy work is not done. And they said, then why did you come back if your work is not done on earth? And Jesus said, well, I left men and women there with assignments so that they could finish the plan. And they said, well, what if their plan, that plan does not work? And he said, there is no other plan. There's no other plan. This is his plan. This is his plan, what the word says, for us to equip the saints for the unity of the body so that we can have fulfill our purpose of living out our faith to ha- with the aim of encouraging and growing people in their faith. It applies to all areas of ministry. There are no volunteers in the church. That's not a place for volunteers. It's a place for servants and stewards. It's a place to be able to serve and to be part of the body. And it's just the vernacular. I know that seems really minor to you. But if I feel like I'm volunteering, I feel like it's something I'm doing and that it's optional. But if I'm serving my king, it's not optional anymore. And there's great joy in being able to do that. Now, has anybody got any questions? I've talked a mile a minute. Any questions? May I make a comment? Yes. I've been... I grew up, you know, in the age of volunteers, and I'm just really thinking about what you said. I'm in my third year as VBS director for our association, and I've had two clinics, and very few people showed up. But I say VBS directors and volunteers, and I'm having a meeting next month, and I said volunteers. So I think in the next newsletter, I'm going to reword that because how many of you would like to serve? You know, yes. the Lord needs us to serve. Yes. Create a vision of what that looks like. It yes. does make a difference. People will read it. Doesn't happen overnight. And we're not going to change our lingo overnight. And the world would call it volunteering, but the Bible does not. You know. Even when it said, here am I, send me. (laughs) We look at that and say, that was a volunteer. No, it was a response to God's call. It was a response and a willingness to serve out of God's call. Will you explain your story squats? My story squat? I just got women who didn't think they could do anything, and they had their time, and I didn't. And I allotted just a little bit of money in there for just coffee at Starbucks or something like that. And when somebody new would come into the church, I would have different ones. I would look at the person and meet them, and then I would have a sign somebody and say, will you call me and take them out to lunch, have them over to your house for coffee, whatever it is, and just get to know them and get to know their story. We don't ask people their story stuff. People love to tell us their stories, don't they? You know, if we'll stop and ask and let them listen. But by hearing their stories, and they could come back and share it with me, if they had been through a divorce, if they were a widow, whatever the case might be, it gave me information on how I could connect them within people in the church and help them to start developing community in the church. It also gave me ideas of how they could serve the lady that had an autistic child and we had, we had the need for someone to work uh, or to serve in children's ministry in an area where we had just a child with no one to understand and she was thrilled to be able to pass that on and do it to someone else. But we don't have the time to listen the way people need to be listened to. Or we don't take the time. We don't take the time. And sometimes we really don't have the time. But there's a lot of people out there that do have the time. And you want people who are friendly. You want people that you can trust. You don't want to just have anybody go in and have somebody given their life story. But I always told them, I said, and I tell them, say, you know, Sheila's going to want to know your story. Is it okay if I tell her? Because I wanted permission for them to be able to pass it on. Then I could follow up 
I tell them that I heard their story and what about it touched me and that there was an area in the church that they might want to be connected with either to serve or to be ministered to. And it gave me information that I, I could not have got. It would have taken me a lot longer to get that information. It is. And it gives people um, that can't do something else the ability. we got a lady right now that's she's handicapped. She's at home. She can't do anything. But she sends the every week when the pastoral staff, when we pray, um, she sends them a letter, a card that tells them that the pastors have prayed for them on Monday and that if they need anything else and thank them for the privilege of being able to pray for them. Blesses her heart so much to be able to do that. She can serve. She's serving the Lord doing that. You ask her why, why she doesn't. She says, because I'm serving the Lord. He wants me to do this. And there's things that we don't put out there as serving opportunities that other people know there's a need for. We don't even see. Uh, this was done at the church responsibility. And I was uh, president of an organization. And I called up this elderly lady that lived her 90s and I asked her would she be willing to serve as chairman of a committee. She says, Annette, thank you so much. Said people forget that older people can still work. And she would send cards to people and draw stick figures on them. Please don't forget me when I'm 90. <laughs> Please don't forget me. You had something? Yeah, I just wanted to say how important it is that we don't just change the word from volunteer to servant, which can be easily done, but that our mindset needs to be right, that we are serving the Lord first. And that would prevent us also from taking on jobs that are not from the Lord, but that are maybe men's ideas, men's ideas, or women's ideas in this case. And we can easily do that. And I was, you know, we want to we want to do things, and yeah, sounds like a good idea, but let's bathe it and pray on us, and that's all. And let me encourage you to change. This is about you changing your mindset, not you going out there and trying to get everybody to start saying servanthood or servant or anything like that, because to them that's going to sound like grief, and it's not going to be enticing to them. But if you're saying serving, just using the word serving, will you serve instead of will you work? And, you know, the Lord really needs some help around here with hands and feet and, uh, and people to serve him in some ways. And I've got some ideas that might work for you. Just the way that you can talk to people and express it. And they will start talking in the terms of serving. You know, it took a long time, but there's not too many women in our women's ministry that will ever say to you that they're a volunteer. Didn't ever say don't say it. But they're going to say, I serve in women's ministry, or I'm serving this way, I'm serving on the Christmas um, gift exchange, or I'm serving doing that. It becomes an environment. It becomes a culture. And it starts with the change of our mindset and not cramming it down other people's throat. But pray, pray, pray. So there. Pray, pray, pray. It's time to go. I appreciate you ladies. I know you're tired. You're wonderful. Thank you for coming in here.